grateful that I'm alive. I'm thankful that I'm alive. Uh, but I have eight fellow soldiers that aren't. And so I'd sort of said in my heart that this was going to be my own personal Memorial Day. And welcome to the Run the Race podcast. I'm your host, Jason Dennis, and uh, we are now on episode number 25. And uh, first one was back in November of 2019. Uh, My how things have changed. And we appreciate you continuing to listen as we uh, go on this journey of fitness and faith together. And I wanted to read to you, you know, if you, um, you know, listen on Spotify, Google Play or Stitcher or maybe Apple Podcasts, there you can go to the bottom of the Run the Race page and uh, give it a five-star review and write something quick. I've got someone I wanted to read, give a shout-out to. Ed Griffinhagen wrote, Run the Race is truly a breath of fresh air in the midst of a lot of negativity. Jason is a compassionate, straight-shooting guy who combines authenticity and kindness in everything he does, whether it's the evening news or an Apple podcast. Love it. So thank you so much, Ed. Appreciate it. Way too kind and uh, just humbled by the fact that you are listening right now. And uh, tell your friends about it and uh, use the hashtag Run the Race Podcast. And uh, we'll continue this journey on together. And uh, also, I don't want to forget, I wanted to wish my wife a happy birthday. Um, um, just thank God every day that she's still with me. We've been married almost 20 years. It'll be 20 this July 1st. And just wanted to wish her a happy birthday this week. And uh, she puts up with me uh, working late hours doing the podcast or anchoring the news or going running. And so I just uh, thank uh, Shanna Dennis so much for being such a wonderful, amazing woman. We're talking today about uh, the upcoming Memorial Day, which is just a few days from now that I'm recording this. And uh, we have a special guest, a chaplain from Fort Benning, Georgia, one of the crown jewels of the U.S. Army, uh, Major Jared Vineyard. His story that takes you from a deadly blast all the way to the story of faith and redemption. So I'm going to introduce him in just a little bit. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the role that, uh, you know, faith uh, whether you know whatever you believe as a Christian or anything else, uh, how that plays a role for Memorial Day because you know it's a day where we pay respect to those who have given their lives, the ultimate sacrifice for our nation, for our freedom, and want to ponder how faith can really amplify the meaning of that day. Now it started back um, because of the Civil War. Memorial Day did, and it's embodied the core uh, aspects. You've got faith, sacrifice, love, and rebirth. So it involved, back in the Civil War, the death of hundreds of thousands of Americans. Uh, and the purpose of that war was the unity of the country and the freedom of its residents. And so, um, you know, the holiday kind of came out of that, that sacrifice. And it kind of, you have some religious martyr symbols and, and uh, different um, similarities as well. You got Moses' exodus and obviously Jesus Christ dying on the cross, sacrificing for us. So if we take kind of that spiritual approach to Memorial Day, it focuses on the soldiers' selflessness, demonstrating you know how they sacrifice everything, even their lives, for their comrades and for us, their country, strangers they don't even know. You know, uh, we get torn apart sometimes by politics and the election coming up and the coronavirus pandemic. So with our faith... And uh, just the kindness we show to other people, that can bring the unity that we truly need as a nation today. Now to introduce my guest for this podcast episode, Chaplain Major Jared Vineyard, 
who uh, works on Fort Benning right now in the uh, uh, Georgia area. He's a 2002 graduate of West Point, eventually leaving the Army to go to seminary and became a Baptist youth minister for four years in Texas. Now he ministers to soldiers of all faiths, including going out in deployments and battles with some of them, deploying to Afghanistan about a decade ago as a chaplain. And he most recently, just last year, got his master's degree of social theology from Yale Divinity School. He has a wife and has six children, so stays plenty busy. And he's going to talk uh, to me a little bit about the an, an explosion that happened 16 years ago that killed um, a, a number of his friends and how really that changed his path into the ministry and how his life has uh, changed ever since then, how God powerfully works through him now to help other soldiers going through some very stressful times. So here's my conversation with him. All right, thank you, uh, Major Jared uh, Vineyard, for uh, joining us here. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, first of all, um, first question, you know, we do uh, kind of a fast forward, some quick uh, rapid-fire questions, kind of getting to know you a little bit before we get into the meat of the discussion. So first of all, uh, what is your job description at work and also at home? Because I know you're, you're busy at both. That, yeah, that's right. So at, uh, at Fort Benning, I'm the uh, ethics instructor and writer for the Maneuver Center of Excellence. And so basically, uh, I teach uh, all the officers coming through the Maneuver Center uh, ethics. And uh, so it can be an interesting and challenging job and uh, enjoy doing that. So do that primarily here at Fort Benning. And then I'm also one of the senior pastors at one of the chapels uh, here at Fort Benning as well. Crossroads Chapel is, is the name of it. It's a Protestant non-denominational uh, chapel. So do that at Fort Benning and at home. Uh, I guess husband and dad, and I know one of your questions is something unique. We've got six kiddos, and so I guess that would be the unique thing, and so that uh, keeps us busy all the time. What uh, what are the what's the age range for your kids? So Jacob, our oldest, just turned fifteen this this past month, and our youngest, Clara, uh, is going to turn four, I believe, on Saturday. So we've got four boys, two girls, fifteen to four. Wow, you you, you need lots of prayer, you and your wife. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We uh, we fall into bed at night and uh, do the next day, and then fall into bed at night. <laughs> so, and speaking of that, finding time to do things. What do you do, or how do you stay physically fit? I mean, do you get to do that as part of your job as well in the army? Yeah, and and I think the blessing of the military, and and some people might call it a curse, but but for me, it's been a blessing. The military is very intentional about you having to be physically fit, and uh, and I've always enjoyed that. So. I think the key word for staying physically fit is just intentionality. And, uh, and so that's, you know, that's important because we know we're going to get weighed and we know we're going to have to get tested. And so we need to be intentional if we're going to not just pass, but do well at both. So, and that's been a challenge even during these, these times with, uh, with the COVID crisis. Yeah. And as a chaplain, you know, do you have a, a certain spiritual motto or maybe a favorite Bible verse kind of your go-to? Well, I know uh, my family has a family verse, and uh, so that, that might be what you're talking about, John 15, 5. And it's, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So our last name's Vineyard. Uh, Jesus is the one who said that, at least thinking about a vineyard and then sharing that sort of in parable form. So that's our family verse. It's very nice. It goes well with your name, like you said. It does. 
And um, it's, it's hard to avoid, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic in terms of talking about it and kind of just really impacting really all of our lives right now. Um, during this crisis, you know, are there extra challenges that you see soldiers facing? And really, what's it been like, you know, counseling them during this pandemic? Yeah, that's it's a great question. It's definitely been a challenge, you know, particularly for chaplains. Our job is so interpersonal that uh, during this time of I don't like the term social distancing, but, but physical distancing, it becomes a little becomes a little challenging. So, for instance, you know, our chapels um, are all online now. So just preaching. Uh, it's very interesting. You're not preaching to a congregation, but you're preaching to a camera. And uh, we still have a congregation. They're still out there, but now they're watching on, on Sunday Facebook Live as opposed to, you know, being there. So that's been a challenge. Uh, there was a phrase that I had heard a long time ago, and the phrase was, beware the barrenness of a busy life. And I know for me and for many soldiers during this time, this in a lot of ways has stripped away the busyness because the schedules went empty and, and they're busier now. But initially for probably everybody, everybody had to just sit back and think, okay, this is a time to almost reevaluate. You know, what am I doing big picture? Who, who am I because of all that busyness being stripped away? So I know a lot of the conversations or some of the conversations that I've had have been some of those, some of those deeper questions of, wow, I was so busy and I, I've almost got lost in the busyness of, of life. And so it's been a, it's been an interesting time trying to make the most of the time we've been given to sort of reevaluate you know, and kind of look and, 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 and reflect of, you know, how am I doing? What am I doing? Why am I doing? And kind of putting that all together. And I know you stay busy now as a, as a husband and father of six and a, and a chaplain there in Fort Benning, but I wanted to kind of go back a little bit. If you can take us back to when you were deployed to Baghdad, Iraq as a, as an artillery officer, uh, describe what happened because I, I've, se I've seen it, um, you know, some of the story about that, the deadly blast that happened back in, uh, I think, in April of 2004. Sure. Yeah, it was it was April 29th, 2004. In fact, the anniversary just just came and went a couple weeks ago. Um, I was a platoon leader back then. And so we were about I think it's 35 miles south of Baghdad in a place called Mahmoudia. Iraq, and we were doing security for engineers. So the engineers were clearing the highways. And um, again, we were doing security for them. And they were, you know, for lack of a better term, sniffing out the IEDs because back then there, there was a lot of IEDs on the on the routes. Um, our guys would do, again, security. And so my platoon was the right flank security for the engineer element that day. And uh, we had pushed out. They got busy. The, that is the engineers with uh, with clearing an IED. And so we, we were just, we were at a, at a halt. So we had to find some cover and concealment. And um, I took about two thirds of my guys and there was a, a wheat field sort of off to our right. So about two thirds of the guys went into the wheat field and uh, myself and my headquarters element, we had to find a place. And there was a small country road that we, we saw and we, we got down and uh, did the best we could to, to, to again, find cover and concealment. And, uh, and time went by and, uh, and I can remember there was a vehicle that, that was approaching us. And, um, and that was pretty normal. I mean, we, we, we would stop vehicles, search them, send them on their way. As he was driving towards me, I started to get up and, and I noticed he, he was looking right at me. So he was clean shaven, sunglasses. I'm looking at him, he's looking at me. And, and, I, and I just had that moment of, you know, I don't know if you've ever felt it, but, but something's not right here. And I couldn't put my finger on it. And, uh, and I remember the last thing I said to, 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 to the soldiers that were around me is, okay, 
uh, okay, guys, let's. And that was the last thing that came out of my mouth. Uh, and the next thing I knew, uh, I was in the middle of a fireball. And, uh, and I didn't know what was going on at the time. Uh, what I, we found out later is that vehicle had about uh, 500 pounds of, of dynamite, TNT, artillery shells uh, just packed into it. And um, I felt like I was, you know, hitting the head with a baseball bat. And, uh, you know, to make a very long story short, we, we lost eight soldiers uh, that day. And that, uh, that, that, was a, that was a challenging time. And, uh, but but uh, the, the soldier to my right, the soldier to my left, his right, his left, um, they, they, they all died. And, and honestly, it was, it was a miracle uh, that I had even survived. Did the, did the blast send you flying? Were you, you know, did you suffer, have major injuries from that? And, and you, I mean, you were a pretty young soldier at that time, I imagine. Yeah, I was 23, 24 years old, uh, you know, brand new, brand new platoon leader. And I uh, had served as a fire support officer before that for about eight months and, and taken over a platoon. But uh, yeah, no, it, it had picked me up and it threw me, it threw me back. I had gotten hit in the head uh, with a piece of shrapnel and I, my helmet, I, I still have my helmet in my office today. Um, it got bent up and, and another piece of shrapnel hit the chin strap and blew off my head. And, uh, so the shrapnel, instead of going through my head sort of went just, just across it. So I've got just a slight, just a slight scar now. And I had my, my right eardrum, uh, which I didn't know at the time, but, but it basically it had, had exploded or, you know, the concussion just kind of, uh, rocked my right eardrum. So, um, so yeah, I had received just kind of a minor wound to the head and then, and then my eardrum. And in fact, it was the eardrum that would send me, send me back to, uh, to Germany. So we were stationed in Germany and, uh, and Lahnstuhl was there. And so the, uh, I went through the medevac system because of my, my eardrum was, was shredded. Right. I think I've read from your story that you were a believer during that time was, was something about God or, or maybe a certain verse, was it kind of running through your mind, kind of going through this traumatic incident? Well, one of the things I had felt very strongly about is, is God telling me that I needed to be memorizing scripture. And so what I would do is I would write on a piece of paper a scripture and I put it in my pocket and that would be kind of my scripture for the day or week. And, uh, and actually right before that uh, explosion happened, I had had the piece of paper in my hand. And uh, in fact, I've got it in my pocket right now. I've, I've carried it. I've carried it every day after after that. But uh, the verse that I was thinking about at the time uh, was Psalm 27, 4. It's one thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And uh, and that verse was running through my head and it was literally in my hand as I was watching the vehicle come up, come and approach when the explosion happened it literally got ripped out of my hand. And so there's a little rip down the paper. Wow. Um, and, and literally, you know, after it was over, the, the last thing I was thinking is where's my scrap of scrap of paper afterwards, after I had been medevaced out with a, with a few other soldiers, as they were sort of policing everything up, I had a first sergeant who found this on the ground and he came to the cash to the hospital in Baghdad. And when he came, he, he said, Hey, Lieutenant, I think this is yours. You know, and I, I kind of did. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, anyways, and I've carried it. I've carried it ever since. Wow. So as an army chaplain now, um, and you know, I'm sure you had to go through your process of grieving and everything else uh, after that incident for how, however long it took. But 
uh, now you are the one helping um, these soldiers go through the stress of deployments or stress of just life in general, you know, as a soldier, as a husband or, or son. Um, what's that been like being on the other side um, of that now and, you know, helping people go through maybe some very similar stuff as you have? Sure. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a real blessing. And, I, and I'll just be honest, I, I remember at the time I really struggled. I mean, I struggled with a number of things, just probably like a lot of soldiers do who come out of combat. And, you know, the things you see, the things you experience, the questions that you ask yourself, um, they can be tough. And uh, and and I struggled with a lot of those, too. And I thought, wow, I don't I don't know if I can live that long and, and deal with this. And the funny thing is, is you know, you think about the things that have been planted in your mind. At that moment, I went back to when I was in junior high. And I can remember there was a radio program, Focus on the Family. And there was a guy that was on Focus on the Family. And I can remember his name, uh, Captain Charlie Plum. He was a Vietnam veteran. He had been in the Hanoi Hilton. And my mom used to listen to this program uh, after dinner. And I can remember the, that, that program went through my mind. And, and the bottom line of, of it was, here was a man who had been a prisoner of war for a number of years, who had suffered greatly, and who came back and didn't really have any of these, these issues afterwards that, that you would assume he would have. And he was questioned about it. And when he was questioned about it, he said, you know, they, they, they asked him, why, why don't you experience this? Why don't you have nightmares? And, and I can remember even as a junior high you know, student listening to this guy, his response shocked me. He was like, well, I've, I've chosen not to participate. You know, I'm thinking, well, what does that mean? And he, he quoted Matthew 11 and he, you know, Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. And he, and he said, you know, I made, I made a deal with God that if he would take it, I would give it to him and, and, and I'd just be done with it. I'd never ask for it again, you know? And, and so fast forward a number of years to 2004, I wake up in this hospital ward and that's the thought that goes through my mind. Hmm. Uh, and I and I did something that I probably I know I'd never done before and I don't think I've ever done since. But I got off the bed and I got down on my knees right in the hospital ward. And I don't know if anybody was around. And it, it, quite frankly, I didn't care. <laughs> um, and I and I began to pray. And and my prayer was, Lord, take what was meant for evil and use it for good. Uh, you know, really quoting Genesis 50, 20, when Joseph's brothers come after they've sold him into slavery. And, uh, and he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And it was to save many lives. And so my prayer was, Lord, take what was meant for evil and use it for good. And if you'll take this, um, I won't ask for it back. And, and I can tell you that I felt something and it was the craziest thing. I, I, there was a pressure on my chest and I, you know, it was one of those moments where I was like, am I having a heart attack? And, and, and this pressure, it was like something snapped and I could feel it. And it went into my neck and into my head and, and it was like it left. And that was the last day I've ever had a nightmare or bad dream or, or any issue uh, related to that deployment. Wow. And, uh, and, and I just, I attribute it to God said, amen, I'll, I'll take it. And, and, and then using it, you know, at the time, I didn't know I was going to be a chaplain. In fact, I, it wasn't even on my radar screen. Um, but then coming back as a chaplain, and, and my first assignment was Fort Campbell, Kentucky. I came back in 2009. In, two th in, in 2010, uh, President Obama had the, the troops surge to Afghanistan, and our, and our unit was a part of that. And it was a very kinetic uh, deployment. And, and being, I was the chaplain for 2506 Infantry. 
second uh, of the 506. That's the Band of Brothers Battalion. Um, and again, it was very kinetic. But but then to see how God had taken the experiences that I had experienced personally before, and he, and he was taking what was meant for evil, and, and now I was able to relay with a lot of these guys and, and use it, you know, and use it for good. And again, you know, I don't think it's ever wise to say, I know how you feel. In fact, I don't, I've never said that. Um, but you can say, well, I don't know exactly how you feel, but I can tell you how I felt when I experienced the loss of a friend. I can tell you how I felt uh, when I got injured. I can tell you how I felt when my unit suffered. Um, and so I think that's been, I think that's been helpful. So that, that blast, you know, um, that killed your, you know, uh, eight of your comrades, back 16 years ago, that really changed your path, I guess, in life and in the military, right? Well, God was already working. God was already working on me for ministry. In fact, that was in April, but I had made a commitment prior to the deployment that I would read my Bible every day of the deployment. And in December 03, I can remember very distinctly God speaking. And it was one of these audible voice moments. And I don't, I don't share that lightly because it was one of those moments where God said, you're going to change careers. And I, and I did what? <laughs> and God said, you're going to change careers. And it was me by myself in my room, uh, which was an open Bay area. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to pray about it. And I said, you know, Lord, I am praying about it. I'm talking to you. I'm listening. This is what, this is what prayer is. And he said, I want you to pray persistently about it. Fast forward about two months. I had an NCO who came up to me. Now, I'd share this with no one. I don't even know how you would share it with anybody. Hey, God's talking to me. This is what he said. I didn't share this with anybody. I had an NCO who came up to me, and uh, he, was, he was a believer. He was a Christian in my platoon, and he knew I was a Christian. I knew he was a Christian, but that's about as far as it, as it went. And he, he, he pulled me aside, and he said, hey, sir, this is going to sound crazy, but um, last night God told me to tell you something. And I'm, you know, I, I've never been told that before. And I said, what? And so he said, can we sit down? Long story short, he said, God told me to tell you, you need to go into ministry. And I did what? So this was the beginning of that process. So when April happened, this, this was already starting. And so this was, I would say, part of the process. I fought the ministry and that's a different story. I said, no, I want to do something else. And, and, and then eventually surrendered to ministry in August, or excuse me, October uh, 2004. But yeah, this, this was one of these days where, you know, God had, I felt like he was calling me to ministry and now he had spared my life in order to do ministry. Um, he had healed my mind in order to do ministry. And, and then, you know, it was interesting. I was medevac to Germany. Um, and by the time I got there, the doctors checked my ears out. They sent me home because I only lived 30 minutes away from Landstuhl because we, again, we were stationed there. They sent me back and uh, the doctor said, you know, why are you here? Uh, your ear's fine. And, uh, and God had healed my ear. In fact, wow. I, I joke around, I, I have better hearing in my right ear, which is the eardrum that was, was shredded. I have better hearing today in my right ear than my left ear. And, <laughs> um, and so, you know, God had called me to ministry, he spared me, he healed my mind and he healed my body. Um, you know, the thing that I did struggle with afterwards was what do you do about this day? And so April 29th, while it was a miracle, uh, there was eight families um, who we had to write letters to. And there was eight soldiers um, that didn't make it on that day. 
And that's that's tough, you know, and for a leader, that's tough for a fellow soldier. That's tough. And, and I struggled with that. And, you know, what am I going to do with this day? I'm grateful that I'm alive. I'm thankful that I'm alive. Uh, but I have eight fellow soldiers that aren't. And so I'd sort of said in my heart that this was going to be my own personal Memorial Day. And, and I'll tell you how God answered that. And it's it, 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 it's absolutely it, it was mind blowing to me. My wife, we were married at the time. Uh, we were married um, during when I was injured. We got married about a month after I graduated from from West Point. Okay. And um, she was pregnant and I get sent over to um, to the hospital. And uh, and it dawns on me as I'm as I'm driving to the hospital. Um, I didn't share this part of the story with you when I was in the helicopter getting flown to the cash to the hospital in Iraq. There was a soldier that I was with and I was trying to keep his eyes open because I was afraid if he shut, if his eyes shut, they wouldn't open again. And as I was doing that, I had a sense and I really felt like God said, look at your watch. And I did. And it was it was 12 o'clock on April 29th, 2004. I felt weird. I kept going. As I'm driving to the hospital, actually, I'm getting driven to the hospital. I have the same sense. Look, look at your watch. And I look down and it dawned on me. I said, oh, my goodness, it's 12 o'clock, April 29th, 2005. Exactly a year later. It was it was one. Yes. One day. I mean, to the to the year, to the month, to the day, to the minute that I had been going to the hospital in Iraq. I was going to the hospital in Germany. My oldest son, Jacob, was born on April 29th. And and it was this moment of God said, you're not going to mourn on this day. Today will be a day of celebration. In fact, you're going to have a party every April 29th. And, and, and he taught me a lesson of this is what it means to be redeemed. Wow. This is what it means to buy back a day. The worst day of my life became one of the best. Yeah. Redemption story. And Jacob, you said, is now 15 years old. He's 15. That's right. Wow. So, you know, every, every, every year Jacob turns 15, we add a year and that's the, you know, and that's the day that, uh, that I had been injured. Uh, prior to that. But it's a great story for the kids because, you know, it, it's a double, it's a double, you know, it's a double celebration. Uh, it's a story of redemption and it's a, it's an opportunity for me to, to really gather the kids around and say, let me tell you about what redemption means. And so we're going to celebrate Jacob today, but we're also going to pause and, uh, and we're going to say a prayer for eight families. Yeah. And so we, we, we do that as well. It's an amazing story of redemption. And you and your wife, I think you were saying that you now have six children. So for you, how has fatherhood, you know, and, and, you know, as you continue to work in the army, how has fatherhood changed your outlook on, on faith and, and military and just life in general? Yeah, I think it's a good, it's a great question. You know, I think, I think being a dad, uh, I, I hope, I hope being a dad makes me a better soldier. I hope being a dad makes me a better pastor. Um, and, and I think they all inspire the other. And so as, as I try to be a better dad, I, I think I am a better soldier. I think I am a better chaplain. Um, you know, and so I think they all inspire the other because it, it just reminds you, this is why we do what we do. And you hear that sometimes, but why do a lot of soldiers do what they do? Well, uh, because of their, you know, because of their country, because of their family. And, uh, and so, you know, I think one inspires the other. Now on the podcast that I have run the race, we talk about you know faith and also fitness is a big focus. So for you, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier, but is your fitness regimen professionally or personally is it just as stringent? Do you think now 
as when you were, you know, in your early 20s, an artillery officer, or, I mean, you think, is it, do you, I mean, work out the same way you did, you know, 15 years ago? I think the answer is yes, but it's a lot harder because <laughs> I'm 40 now. And, uh, and, and, you know, again, I think it's a blessing of being intentional. So starting young, being intentional with, you know, physical fitness. And, uh, and so it's just as important now. So, yeah, I think my regimen is probably about the same, but, but it's a lot harder and the recovery is a little, a little tougher. You know, the Army is so good when it comes to, and you may have heard of this, the comprehensive soldier and family fitness. And so in comprehensive soldier and family fitness, there's sort of five pillars and the pillars are physical fitness, emotional fitness, spiritual fitness, social fitness and family fitness. And so each one of those pillars, you know, it's really on the individual, but hopefully as an institution, you know, we try to say, hey, these are areas you need to really make sure you prioritize in your life. And uh, you need to make sure you're strong in each of them, because as you're strong in each one of these, they're going to help you with the other ones and they're going to help you to be a better, you know, be a better soldier, to be a better husband or, or, or you know, or, or dad or be a better citizen. And, and so so that's been good. And that's even part of what I teach here. And so part of the ethics is uh, part of what I've incorporated in, in ethics is, hey, you know, to, to, to be doing right. Right. Which is at the end of the day, what ethics is about. Hey, I want to do right. We need to be physically fit. We need to be emotionally fit, spiritually fit, socially fit. Our family needs to be fit. So in each one of those, what's the key? Well, we already talked about what the key was physically, but I always say the key in all of them is the same. It's being intentional. And so if I'm going to be physically fit, I've got to be intentional. If I'm going to be spiritually fit, I've got to be intentional. If my family is going to be fit, I've got to be intentional. You know, and I'll stop on that with a lot of soldiers because what does that mean? Well, hey, if I'm married, that means I have to intentionally invest in my spouse. You know, we've got to go on dates still. We, we've got to invest in each other. That means as a, as a father, you know, me personally, I have to intentionally invest into each of my kids. Now I've got six and so it could be challenging, but, but it doesn't, it doesn't relieve me of that duty that, that I've got to be intentional with my family. And so I think with each of those five pillars, the key is intentionality. And, you know, again, I think this time can be good to really sit back and ask, am I doing that? You know, am I really being intentional uh, in each of these areas? And with the pillar of spiritual fitness, you know, um, you hear about things like the separation of church and state. So how does faith in the military connect or, or maybe is it a fine line with what's allowed or, or if soldiers are willing to open up? I mean, is, is this something you have to kind of walk that fine line as a chaplain or are you kind of giving carte blanche? Well, you know, as a chaplain, I think there's always the, you know, you, you've got to work with wisdom and tact. And so we know that not every soldier is a is a believer in in some faith. Not every soldier who is has a faith is a Christian, which you know I am. And, and so you know the army has tasked all chaplains to provide religious support. And so we do that to those across the spectrum. Uh, and and so what that means, for instance, if 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 I have a soldier, you know, so how do we do that? I guess is the question. Well, chaplains do two things. We perform or provide. And so how do we perform religious support? Um, Well, that's me preaching. That's me teaching. And so the Army says we want you to be who you are. And so that means, you know, I I get to believe what I believe and I can be who I am. And uh, that's the perform aspect. The provide aspect is when I have a soldier maybe of a different faith. And, And so what we have to make sure is that they have what they need in order to worship. And, uh, and, and that's been a blessing. I mean, that's been a blessing to, to, to be a part of, you know, uh, 
helping other soldiers in what, you know, in getting what they need, you know, and in some cases, you know, soldiers have no faith at all. And that's okay as well. You know, when soldiers come to the chaplain, there's no religious test. You know, I, we talk to soldiers who are of any faith or no faith, you know, and, and I would tell you from personal experience, the number one thing that, you know, in my chaplain career that I have done time-wise is counseling over and over. So we do a lot of counseling. And I think most chaplains would agree counseling is probably one of the, the, the number one things that we do. Um, and of those things, probably the number one issue that I've personally counseled with is marital issues. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, and so that's been a blessing. And so sometimes, you know, if a soldier is, 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 you know, soldier of faith, we'll bring in, we'll bring in scripture, we'll bring in the Bible. And if a soldier's not, then, then we'll talk to, you know, him or her where he or she is at. And, uh, and we will, you know, again, perform or provide the best that we can to all soldiers across the formation. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of soldiers dealing with loss, like, like you have, um, and as we talk major vineyard and it's close to Memorial day, um, how do you continue to remember and honor the members of your unit that were killed um, 16 years ago? I know you have the, the I guess the, uh, the celebration of your redemption and your, and your son Jacob's birthday, you know, just a few weeks ago. But on Memorial Day, does that mean something more to you now? You know, being in, I think being in the Army, it's for me, it's one of those days where, um, and, and I don't want this to sound cheesy, but it's almost every day is Memorial Day. I walk the halls of the Maneuver Center and every day I come to work, I walk by pictures of those who have come through uh, this facility and given the ultimate sacrifice. I pray for the families. You know, you work with soldiers who have dealt with, with loss and with grief and who have suffered. And, uh, and so I think for every soldier, and again, I, I don't want to overgeneralize that, but they carry a piece of that with him or her uh, in their heart every day of the year. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know that, you know, you, um, you know, as, as a, as a soldier, you guys, you know, you know, kind of work well under stress and, and deal with crisis, but now we've got this pandemic that's been happening COVID-19 and all the changes that you guys have had to do as a military. Um, is that, has that changed your job and, and how you're able to do your job? I mean, you talked about it a little earlier, but just about how, um, you know, um, you, are you seeing more people for counseling because of this or, or is it just a different kind of stress? Yeah, I would, I would say, yes, it, it, I would, I would say across the board, it's, it's a different kind of stress. Um, you know, one of the discussions that we've been having with a lot of soldiers is what, what do we prepare our army leaders for? And, and if you think about it, we prepare our army leaders for times of fear and uncertainty. That's what combat is. It's, it's fear and uncertainty. And, and so when you put the pandemic on top of it, what, what is this? Well, it's for a lot of people, it's a time of fear and uncertainty. And so we talk about this is the time where we really need leaders. We need leaders at all times, uh, but we really need leaders during times of fear and uncertainty. And so that's what we as a military train for in general. And so it's true, this is a different kind of fear and it's a different kind of uncertainty, but it's fear and uncertainty nonetheless. And so one of the challenges for our leaders is, hey, this is what we're training for. You know, going back to the ethics piece, this is what we're, you know, we, we are here to do the right thing. Well, what does that mean? And so we talk about what does that look like during this time? You know, what does that look like during combat? I think the challenge for me is I'm very interactive. We've had some of our Bible studies that have gone online on Zoom. Uh, you know, we've, we've started putting out a midweek thought that we hadn't been doing prior to that. Um, you know, of course, our sermon series 
um, is now all online. Now it was already streaming online ahead of time. So that was a blessing. So that didn't change. But of course, having people out there did. I'll tell you, spiritually, we talk about the spiritual pillar. One of the things that has been a challenge personally, and even for you know our, us challenging our congregation is, hey, the church is still the church, right? The church hasn't gone away. But now what we're, we're, we're challenging you with, really, we should have been doing before. You know, moms and dads, how are you spiritually investing in your kids? You know, are you leading family worship? Are you, you know, for instance, reading the Bible together? Are you praying together? Are you talking about what you're learning together? Again, these should have been things that hopefully we were doing ahead of time. But particularly during this time where, where we can't meet as a, you know, as a body at the chapel, um, we're really encouraging families. Hey, you need to really invest spiritually in your family. Yeah, well, Major Vineyard, it was a pleasure to talk to you, and thank you for uh, for your service and uh, sacrifice. And uh, we'll pray for you that uh, you can continue to uh, soldier on with your job and uh, busy job at home, also with your uh, your family and six kids. Thank you so much. Absolutely. In fact, last thing I share with you, I, I joke around with the with the uh, officers here. I said, "This is this is easy." So the, the hard part is when I go home at night. So I got to get my game face on. And the real work is when I get home with those kiddos. You get a break when you come to the uh, MCOE, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. When I, when I get to talk to adults. <laughs> that's right. All right. Well, thanks again. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Really what an amazing story and, and amazing life so far for Chaplain Major Jared Vineyard from Fort Benning. And uh, you couldn't see it on video because obviously you're just listening to this audio as a podcast, but he showed me in our Zoom interview that same car that he's carried around with him for 16 years, uh, every day since uh, that deadly explosion. And it has a rip in it from uh, from the blast. And it has that verse on it, Psalms 27.4. And so uh, he still carries with him to this day and um, got it back. Uh, after uh, that uh, explosion happened in Iraq. Turning now to our final segments of this uh, 25th episode of the Run the Race podcast, including Food for Thought with some uh, inspiring acts by some military. Check this out. There is an Army veteran who has conquered a one-arm push-up record and uh, really improving anything is possible This story is about Greg Reynolds, who's a staff sergeant, lost his left clavicle, scapula, shoulder, arm, and hand, and has since dedicated his life to really inspiring other people. So he actually broke the Guinness World Record for the most one-arm push-ups, carrying a 40-pound pack in one minute with a total of, yes, 54 uh, I don't know if I can do 54 push-ups with both my hands with no no pack on. He did that despite having uh, more challenges than really the average person, obviously. He said, quote, after my injury, one of my goals was to pass the Army physical fitness test, which included a minimum of 42 push-ups, and those push-ups became therapeutic for Greg Reynolds. Um, He stresses that disabilities do not define a person. They are just a condition. And again, he's now that Guinness World Record holder and uh, continues uh, serving and helping those in the U.S. military. Congrats to him. Well done, sir. 
And on the faith side of things, there's an article titled Lawmakers Urge Pentagon to Protect Christians and Military from Anti-Religion Activists. So there's 20 members of Congress, including Representative Doug Collins from Georgia. They've signed a letter urging the Secretary of Defense to protect Christian military service members who are apparently under threat from a secular legal organization calling on the military to punish them for outwardly sharing their Christian faith. And so they signed this joint letter asking the Pentagon to protect their religious liberty of of service members. One of the actions being talked about is from Air Force Lieutenant Colonel David McGraw, who for eight weeks led worship services from the balcony of his military housing unit in Germany. That's been condemned by the Military Religious Freedom Foundation, MRFF, an organization that represents service members pushing for a, a strict separation of church and state when it comes to the military. They're even asking for a general court-martial for him and took offense to his actions. They have success, been successful in pressuring leaders in the U.S. Army to force McGraw to apologize and move his Sunday balcony services to a different location. Well, the lawmakers also come into the defense of Army chaplains, like the one we talked to, uh, but the Army chaplains were, in this case, are at Fort Drum in New York, who are the subjects also of another MRFF complaint about videos they posted to command's official Facebook page encouraging prayer during the coronavirus pandemic. So Army policy is they do not prohibit evangelizing so long as it's communicated in a manner that avoids the appearance of the Army or the Department of Defense endorsement or promotion of a particular religious viewpoint or a particular group. That's the Army guidance specifically. But the lawmakers in this case also warned in their letter to uh, the Department of Defense that the Army have been, quote, far too quick to restrict the religious freedom of chaplains and the service members they serve as a result of this group's attacks. So uh, we definitely stand in, when it comes to uh, uh, freedom of religion and religious liberty, And uh, but there is that uh, separation of church and state, and it's a fine line, but um, it's, it's something that as long as you don't offend people and you're open to all religions, I think it's, it's fair game. And uh, as long as you don't shut people out and tell them they have to believe this one thing, especially as a soldier in our military. And the parting gift today comes from the Bible, John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. And that's what so many of our soldiers have done, the men and women in uniform that have given the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Also giving the ultimate sacrifice, dying for our sins on the cross when we didn't deserve it, then rising again after the third day. And so um, we we thank you, Jesus, and we salute all our soldiers um, who are on the front lines um, all the time, not just during a pandemic, but uh, really all the time, fighting for us in wartime and in peacetime. And we thank them for that. Closing out in prayer today, dear God, just uh, thank you, Lord, for the nation that we live in, for our military, the best in the world and uh, that they continue protecting us. Uh, Lord God, we we pray a hedge of protection around them, and uh, we pray for the families uh, that have lost loved ones to war, uh, to, to, you know, soldiers um, and and military veterans who are dealing with uh, the losses of their friends. And we pray for comfort and peace for them right now as we remember those who have uh, really done so much for us and uh, laid down their lives for the freedoms that we celebrate and enjoy today in the USA. You name me, pray God. Amen.
Again, thank you for joining us for the Run the Race podcast. And uh, you're not going to want to miss next week. We have a special guest. Uh, I've already interviewed him a little early, but that's going to be next week, Lazarus Lake. He is the race director for the infamous, legendary Barkley Marathons and now is leading this great virtual race across Tennessee, 1,000K or 635 miles over the next four months that I'm participating in. And he's got about 20,000 people signed up all over the world. So Laz is a unique character, uh, calls himself a uh, hillbilly genius in a way, but you're not going to want to miss that conversation as he's out for a walk. And uh, we talk a lot about so many different things. That's on next week on the Run the Race podcast. And hope you and yours have a wonderful week.